Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, and I'll be bringing the message today. And once again, we're in the book of Revelation, and once again, we're in chapter 13. So let me give you the text, and then I will read it for you. I invite you to open up uh, your copy of the Bible and uh, follow along with me if you so choose. The text is Revelation chapter 13, and I'm going to just pick up reading in verse 13 and go through verse 18. That's Revelation chapter 13, beginning in verse 13 and go through verse 18. The Word of God says, beginning in verse 13, And He performs great signs, so that He even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it is given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, and the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small, the great, the rich, the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the number of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understand, who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. I've entitled this message today, You Can Refuse the Mark. Well, we're going to take a look at this and see who it is that actually can receive the mark. Because to receive the mark is to live. To refuse the mark is to die. Or at least a death sentence will be placed on you. So, we are looking at this one that is uh, the second beast that has come up out of the earth. In verse 11, and we have identified him as the false prophet so named in three other verses of Scripture that I gave you last week. And so we began looking last week at this one who is called the false prophet. And in verse 12, we saw that he exercises all the authority of the first beast, who is the Antichrist, in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And so we saw that uh, this one has a tremendous influence over the earth. Uh, he is the religious person coming alongside the political person of the Antichrist. And he stands alongside of him and he exercises all the same authority as the Antichrist has. Because the first beast has delegated authority uh, in, from Satan and the second beast has the same source of delegated authority. And so we began to see, and in, in, in fact, if you'll notice again in verse 13, I know we covered this last week. This is just by way of review for those who perhaps did not hear last week. But if you did not, I encourage you to go back and look at uh, last week's message. Uh, but in verse 13 it says, And he performs great signs so that it even makes fire come down out of heaven in the earth in the presence of men. Well, this should not be shocking, in fact, won't be shocking to the people on the earth during the time of the tribulation period. It might be shocking to some now, but the New Testament days, there was a, a 
There was power that was being performed. In fact, even in the Old Testament days, we saw the magicians of the Pharaoh who could throw down their staffs and turn them into snakes. And then, of course, uh, Moses threw down his staff and it became a snake or serpent and swallowed the uh, serpents, uh, the staffs, and had turned the serpents from the uh, magicians of the Pharaoh. So we know that this kind of power can be uh, demonstrated from the evil one. But in Acts chapter 8, and I think I mentioned this last week, Simon, it says, a certain man was formerly practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. They all had from the smallest to the greatest were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. You see that they are attributing this power, these wonders to God, for only God can do that according to what they're saying. This man is what is called the great power of God, his power of was from Satan, but always Satan masquerades as God. Now, that's not part of the text. That's part of what my commentary is. Uh, Satan is always trying to imitate God, always drawing attention to himself. And is remember now, he is an angel of light masquerading around as that. But he is really the evil one. And in verse 11, it says, The people were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with magic arts. Now, we don't know what all there was there, but we do know that uh, Satan has certain powers, that he can perform certain things. But when we get to this one that is called the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13, he will be able to do things, this coming false prophet, that will far exceed those of uh, what we could call a small-time operator of Acts chapter 8 in the story of Simon. He will do wonders that will point to his supposed divine origin, and give him credentials as a true prophet. Remember, he's masquerading as an angel of light. So he wants people to see him as a true prophet, pointing to the true deliverer, the true Savior, the true Christ, which he is pointing to the Antichrist. Remember, the people during the time of the tribulation are going to need a reason to hope. They're going to need something to believe in. The world is going to seem as though it has gone slap crazy. That people have lost their sense, their mind, the world is in, out of control, and that God has stopped speaking. And so they're going to need a reason for hope, and the Antichrist with the false prophet are going to step right up and demand that they are the true saviors. They are where true hope lies. I don't want to be around during that time. Verse 13 says, He even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. He can do some amazing and astonishing things. No doubt trying at least to match. Remember now, during the time of the, the uh, tribulation period, God's going to have two witnesses. And they're going to be able to do that. They're going to be able to draw uh, and, and make wondrous things that people will see. Uh, in fact, in verse 6 of chapter 11, they have the power to shut up the sky in order that it may not rain during the days of their prophesying. They have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth as often as they choose to do so. And then in verse 5 of that same chapter, chapter 11 of Revelation, if anyone desires to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone would desire to harm them in this manner, they shall be killed. Wow, that is the two witnesses. And it seems as though Satan is trying to mask that. It seems like he is trying to imitate that or to, uh, to try to at least match that as the two witnesses had certain powers given to them by God. That's what he's going to do. So let's jump into this text. 
And number one of this week, I want you to see, starting in verse 14, his persuasion. He is going to be a very persuasive individual on this earth. Perhaps the greatest orator of all times. Verse 14 says, and here's the key, he deceives those who dwell on the earth. You see, Satan always goes for deception. He knows he can't go for the truth because God's word is truth. And he didn't want any part of that. He wants to lead astray. Uh, he wants to, to uh, deceive the world. In fact, the, the word here in, in Revelation chapter 13, uh, verse 14, he deceives those who dwell on the earth. The, the word earth there is really a word for planet. It has to do with wandering bodies. He causes people to wander away from the truth. It's what he's actually doing here. So we can see, number one, he is very persuasive, even by nature of who his power comes from. Considering the vulnerability of people during the time of the tribulation, and especially the great tribulation period, where they're going to experience disaster disaster after disaster, making them desperate, uh, it's going to be a very strange time. It's going, they're going to begin seeing unusual things. Even God's judgment, direct judgment from heaven, are going to be astounding things to see. And so the world is going to be basically sucked into satanic wonders and signs, and they are being, they're going to be fabricated by the Antichrist as if he has come back to life himself. He himself will be a so-called walking miracle. And you see, the people are going to desperately need hope. They're, they're eager to believe something and to, to put their faith and trust in something or someone. And all of hell's host, all of the demons of the pit are in on this deception. And the world in its vulnerability and universally victimized state, man, they're, they're ready for the deception. They're ready to bite it, hook, line, and sinker. Then verse 14 says, in Revelation chapter fourteen or chapter thirteen, verse fourteen says, "He deceives those who dwell on the earth. He deceives them. Not he will deceive them or might deceive them. He does deceive them. This is his persuasion. He deceives them. They are buying into it. Those who dwell on the earth. This is a technical phrase used in Revelation, always to denote the unbelieving people of the world." Now, Paul discusses the same thing. It's important for us to, to note in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, the Antichrist comes with the power of Satan. We know that. We know that from Revelation 13. We know it from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. With all the power, signs, and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness, for those who perish, they all will, they will not deceive. In other words, these wonders and Satan will not deceive the elect. They will not deceive the redeemed. They will deceive those who are, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, those who are perishing because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Man, folks, if you haven't looked at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in a while, I suggest you go back and read chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, all of it especially down through from verses 1 through 12. Listen to this again. In verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, for this reason God will send upon them a delusion 
a deception. Influence so that they might believe what is false. Man, they're, they're in trouble now because when God says he's going to send a deception to the unbelievers so that they'll believe what is false, he's talking about the deception of the Antichrist and the false prophet. They're going to believe that. In order that, verse 12 says, they all may be judged. Who? Those do the of the, who the unbelievers because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So in order that they all, all of them may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. That's who we're talking about here. That's the ones that we're looking at here. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, God is sending them a deluding influence. God is even, on, is, is even in on the delusion in order that they may all be judged. No wonder the whole world's deceived. Satan is doing his deceiving, deceiving. His demons are doing their deceiving. The Antichrist, the false prophet, are doing their deceiving. And on top of all that, God is sending a strong delusion. And the result of all this is that everybody on earth, everybody who is not saved, who has not believed the truth, everyone who is perishing, is going to believe and be deceived. Folks, that is a, that is a, th- those are powerful words. I, I just almost, it's just difficult to think. There's so much deception. You're not going to have a choice. You're going to be deceived. If you are not a believer and you're living at this time, woe be to you. Verse 14 again reminds us that the signs which is given to him to perform uh, in the presence of the beast involving telling those on earth to make an image of the beast. What? To make an image? Well, that goes into number two of the outline. Number two of the outline is, number one, we see his persuasion. Verse 14. But number two, his plan. Look at how he's going to accomplish this persuasion. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Well, actually, it begins in verse 14. And he deceives uh, the, the whole earth who dwell, in, uh, who, who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those, and here it is, the last part of 14. To make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come back to life. Okay, so this plan of Satan is to work through the Antichrist and the false prophet in telling the people to make an image. Verse 14 reminds of this. You see, Satan wants an idol made. He wants the people to make this idol of the beast or the Antichrist who supposedly was raised from the dead. It will be some kind of an image, some kind of a replication of the Antichrist, and it will be set up in Jerusalem. Once again, Satan is imitating and counterfeiting what is the uh, predicted, what is predicted in the prophetic scripture of Christ. Christ is to come back and reign in Jerusalem on the throne of David in Jerusalem and to have the worship of the world. What's Satan doing? Exactly the same thing. Trying to imitate that. So here he brings the false Christ. Uh, his false Christ establishes a throne as though it were the image in the case, and which I believe is the abomination of desolation. So he's going to be connected to that in some way, and we'll see later on exactly how that's connected. And set it up in Jerusalem, and it's associated with the temple ground. 
And again, the convincing sign of the Antichrist's supposed resurrection is given at the point of his public exposure. He is faking everything, ladies and gentlemen. Everything. Which is why I, do, I don't believe there's a resurrection at all. I don't think there is a resurrection. I think it's a fake resurrection. I don't know how it's all going to come out. I don't know how it's all going to play. But you see, he wants an idol. He wants this idol. The idols, uh, the idols were always used of heathens, and they were always of silver and gold. And it was always said of idols, they have mouths, but they speak not. This is very firm in the Old Testament statement. In fact, it's repeated several times that idols are dumb. Idols cannot speak. This one's different. In fact, Psalm 135, verse 15 and 16. If you want to make note of that, Psalm 135, verse 15 and 16. The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Habakkuk affirmed the same kind of thing. If we, and, uh, you know, I have referred to Habakkuk numerous times, especially in looking at Habakkuk chapter 1. It's a wonderful picture of today. But in Habakkuk chapter 2, there's something that's talking about the idol. The idol is a dumb thing that cannot speak. In chapter 2, verse 19, woe to him, woe to him who says to a piece of wood, or you could say stick, awake. Or to a dumb stone, arise. There's no breath at all inside it. Why would you talk to a dumb rock or to a stick? (laughs) It's kind of interesting, isn't it? To think about the possibilities of that. Pick up a stick on the ground. Hold it up to you and try speaking to it. See if you can get that stick to do anything you want it to do. How about this? Pick up that stick and pray to it. Oh, great, wondrous stick. You can't do that. That would be so, so stupid. But what this is saying is they all know that the idols don't speak. You speak to them. They don't speak to you. But contrary to all that is said in the Old Testament about idols, contrary to what we see in Psalms, and several chapters in Isaiah talk about uh, idols are made with your hands and they... Uh, you liken them to God, but God is the real God who, who speaks and has life. He declares the end from the beginning. That's the true God. But contrary to what all that is saying, look at verse 15. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even, now here it is, speak. And cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Huh. That's interesting. Verse 15 says, There was given to him, the false prophet, to give breath to the image of the beast. That he might even speak. Well, I thought we just read the Old Testament. They don't speak. I thought we read in Habakkuk, they don't speak. Psalms, they don't speak. Isaiah chapter 44, it says they don't speak. But here, during the Antichrist days of full reign in his full glory, during the great tribulation period, this is going to be an idol made in his image 
declared to have breath and able to speak, given power from Satan himself. This powerful Antichrist, this world leader, is established as the focus of world worship, and the false prophet is given somehow the power to give him breath in the very form of that image so that the image can speak. But I want you to notice something. You know, Satan is a master counterfeiter. You know that, don't you? I know you know that. And uh, we, we've seen several times where we look at Scripture, we see that he is an angel of light. Some of you have even sent me notes uh, reminding me of it in case I forgot it. And I thank you for that. Don't ever assume that I, 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 I think of everything. Uh, I don't. I like it when you send me notes and you remind me of things. But in this, I want you to notice something. Look at verse 15. There was given to him to give breath. You see that word breath? You can circle that word. It's not the typical word for breath that we use in referring to true life. It's not the Greek word zoe. It's not bios. It's, uh, it is the, the Greek words, though those are Greek words for life, uh, zoe and bios. It's pneuma. It actually just means air. Uh, in fact, we get that, we use that same word today for pneumatic tools. This is pneuma. And I believe, this is the word used here, and I believe that you have here in the presence or at the appearance of some kind of phenomenon that looks like life. You see, Satan is going to counterfeit. He's doing everything he can to deceive. He's doing everything he can to persuade the world that the Antichrist deserves his worship because he is the Savior. He's doing everything in his power that has been given to him by Satan himself, who is over, who is, remember now, Satan himself is the father of all unbelievers. He is the father of lies. He is the father of deception. He is the father of all those. In fact, it says in John chapter 8, you are of your father the devil, speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees who were not believers. Think about that. So, some would say that this image comes to life. I, I, I don't know that it does. I, I can't say that. I cannot. It won't. My, those words won't come out of my mouth to say that he has life. This image, whatever this image is, Satan cannot give life. I, I feel certain that the scriptures are, are emphatic with that. I don't even feel we need to believe that the beast was actually or genuinely resurrected. Like I said, I think he faked it. Now, I don't know how, but boy, with the master of TV, in fact, all he had to have was spirit, uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, uh, influence, and he, he would know how to deceive the whole world into thinking things. We see things on TV all the time that are not real. Uh, I wish I could get into some of that with you, but uh, there's things that you see that you think are real. They're not real. And I don't think the resurrection is real. I think it's a fabrication. I think the speaking of the image is another one of Satan's deceptions. That's Satan. That image is not speaking. But now he may look like he's speaking. He may walk like he's talking. He may have lips moving. He may have motions from uh, so-called hands or fingers or, or ears or eyes. He may have all of that. And I remind you, again... Pharaoh's magicians could throw their sticks to the ground and turn them into snakes even in those days so long ago. 
Now think about how technology has changed today. Think about all that is at our fingertips. All that is you're holding in your hand when you hold that cell phone. Man, if they could have seen such technology, they would have called it evil. All the satanic power, this kind of thing would be readily done. Today, amazing technology, along with people's desperation to have something to believe in. This going to make more. We are going to have a very vulnerable, naive community of people on the earth. They're all going to be so naive. They're all going to be so gullible. They're all going to be so desperate. They're all going to be so eager to believe something. The incredible thing they're doing today with technology, the amazing special effects they can affect in today's films, and all that will be in place at that time with the added dimension of Satan's magic. And he will animate, I think he's going to animate this statue so that it literally appears to come to life. In fact, think about this. With Satan's deception, and 2 Thessalonians says, with all the deception of wickedness and with all the demons adding to it, with the Antichrist being energized and empowered by Satan himself and the anti the uh, false prophet being anti, being uh, in on this by being empowered by a tremendous amount of uh, power from a demon and Satan himself I think it's going to be an incredible thing I think with all that deception going on and then God according to second Thessalonians chapter 2 is going to send a strong delusion so they will believe a lie. They're going to look at this statue. They're going to look at this image, this figure, whatever it actually is. It may not be a statue. It may be some kind of robotics. It may be, I don't know what it could be, but it will be something, and it won't really matter to me on this side of the, of the uh, rapture, but on the other side of the rapture when the church is gone, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to do. But I do believe that when the people see it, the world will fall in line to believe it. Their hearts are going to just be laid open bare before this that will appear to be truth. This truth will grip them. This truth, I believe, will snatch their minds in gear. To where they're going to be living according to one purpose. I think this is what Revelation 17 says. God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose by having one common purpose. By giving their kingdom to the beast, the words of God should be fulfilled. It's going to be God's purpose to bring all these people together to believe. To believe what? To believe the Antichrist is the Christ is the Messiah. It's going to push them right down the very path of worship to Him. Look at verse 15 again. It says in verse 15, the Antichrist, the beast, of course, his cohort, false prophet, will also cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. You know, that is quite the, the task. In fact, I'm going to end on this note. I thought I might be able to get into 
the mark of the beast, which I will get into next week. Because I, I don't want to cut that short. I cannot cut that short. I must get in every inch of that, every bit of that, every word of that. But I just want to touch on this. We don't know how that's going to work. But it isn't hard to imagine that worldwide television will keep that image, whatever that image is, on TV all the time. Now, we've had a taste of this. We've had a taste of being able to prove you're a follower. You're a, you're a, you obey the, the law of the country. We've had some taste of that here recently with COVID. Having to have the proof that you've had vaccines. Uh, and I'll get into that more next week. We don't know how they're going to pull off this. Pull off what? I'm talking about pulling off the fact that as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. How are they going to kill everybody? And who is it? Who is it that would dare refuse to receive that mark that we're going to talk about next week? Who would not bow to this? Who would not follow this? Who would not follow a man who uh, apparently has been killed and comes back to life? Who would not follow that man? Well... I think the result is going to be next week. Next week, I promise to give you the truth found in verses 16, 17, and 18. The mark or the branding, the validation that you are a believer is going to come next week. Folks, I I thank you for, for tuning in to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. It's my desire that you do follow along with me and you, you, you stay in touch with this study. There's a lot of great studies out there on prophecy. I'm certain of that. I'm not the, the only one. I'm not even the best one. But I am one. So if you'll follow me, I promise we'll, we'll get through these scriptures. They're, they're tough. They're, they're, they're not exciting in the sense they give you butterflies. They give me stress. Uh, as you look at the condition of the world and where we're headed and the, the complexity of this, this whole thing with Satan and the deception and the deception of wickedness. Folks, we're in for some dangerous times. Dangerous, dangerous times in this world. And I hope that you will uh, you'll follow along and stay close to it. Because next week we're going to look at this mark. What is the mark? How are we uh, to receive the mark? And why I've received the mark, or why would you not receive the mark? All these questions we will answer next week. So folks, I thank you again for joining another broadcast of Hope for the Heart, and I will see you next time. Thank you.